from KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas. This is Bayou Lands Talks, a companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio documentary series, Bayou Lands, a program exploring the people and places of Southeast Texas since 2016. I'm Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing a conversation between guest contributor Will Stark and artist and visionary architect Charlie Stagg. Best known for his glass bottle house in Viter, Texas, a domed cathedral built from repurposed bottles, cans, and cement, Stagg was also a drawer, painter, and sculptor whose spiraling DNA helix-like works have been displayed in museums and art installations all over the world. This interview was conducted in 2009 prior to Charlie Stagg's death in 2012, and aired for the first time anywhere on Bayou Lands in 2016. We hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Will Stark, and I'm here to interview Charlie Stagg down here in Vider, Texas, at his home. Charlie, tell him a little bit about yourself. I was born and raised right here where I am right now. This was a hog pen that my dad raised pigs on a 31-acre plot of land in Vider. I was the last child and kind of late, and so I did a kind of rule here. At the time, it's grown up considerably now. At the time, I, it was there's very few people around, and only Really, the only playmates I had were like on the weekend coming back from church for Sunday, you know. And I believe that was pretty common around here. So I had to invent a lot of uh, my own entertainment. One of the most uh, fun things I could do, and it was very, I wish I had these drawings. I used to make drawings, uh, like imaginary drawings of sitting on the uh, <laughs> ditch bank with a uh, pole, and I used to do that, and crawfish, and then I would draw these, and they were like very simplistic, uh, almost stick figures, but uh, I wish I had some of those now, <laughs> but I did that to kind of entertain myself. As I got older, we had no formal art education in our school, probably not until, I I really hate to say, probably around the 59 or 60, right after I left school, maybe later than that, 65. And so uh, I had very little exposure. Occasional periodical that would get in my hands and. I found myself gravitating towards wanting to know uh, about building and making and more towards sculpture, the deep meanings of sculpture and how it really relates very directly to everyone in the form of architecture. I went to uh, school in Philadelphia through Tyler, Tyler School of Art. I knocked around up in the Northwest for a couple of years and then back over to uh, 
New York City for uh, probably a year and back down to uh, Philadelphia and then back here and started my existence here about, about 28 years ago. My commitment to myself when I made this move was to um, study and research materials of all types that have been used and find a reuse for them. That kind of led me into exploring, improving on materials by using technique to build uh, walls and buildings. I've done paintings and uh, and I sell paintings too. I mean, it's not totally just the old guy out in the woods, but it's kind of like that. And I, I, I kind of like it that way. I have no pressure. I have some wonderful kids that come out here from all over, mainly from Beaumont, and they help me cut wood and keep things going. It's rewarding. At first, it was mostly Lamar College students would come out and party, because at that time, I was <laughs> still partying. I'm not partying too much in the same way anymore. <laughs> I like to watch, sit around and talk, and uh, take in uh, information I can from young minds and get a feeling for such things as media is going. It allows me not to have to be so closely involved in all aspects of media to have young people around that know it, you know, and they've been raised around. And I have a pick of a lot of really talented people. Tell me about some of the jobs you've had in the past. After I got out of high school, the draft was in effect at that time, and uh, I had a very difficult time getting, like, even some kind of an entry-level job. We didn't really have all the fast food stuff going, and But uh, I felt like I could do something a little better because I had vocational training in high school. And that's actually my first job was going to work uh, ship fitting in uh, Bethlehem Steel. And that's a rude awakening to to the real world when you're in uh, 115 degree heat, working over water, trying to keep the sweat out of your eyes while you welding a piece of iron together. Got out of that by deciding to go in the Army. So I uh, enlisted and went to um, Fort Hood first, and then I went to uh, Bootsbach, Germany, where I was in the artillery for about a month. During that time, we were out in the field. It was in the middle of the winter. I come back and I found out that they'd put me in the wrong place. I thought something was strange because I was trained as an engineer. So when I got back out of the out of the field, uh, they sent me to the 23rd Engineers in uh, Hanau, Germany. And then I proceeded to go out for another two months out in the field in ice cold weather. And as soon as we came back that time, I went and auditioned for the uh, 3rd Armored Division Choir and got a job singing in baritone section. Had a really good stint after that. Had some very interesting people and I was able to see some really wonderful architecture 
from all over Europe. When I got out of uh, the army, I uh, started looking for a job and was kind of tight, but not too bad. But one of the better jobs was working in these oil refineries, so they said. And I went to work there, and it was good. But I started noticing all the retirees would always die right before retirement or maybe just a year or two after. So that spooked me, and I got out of that. Went to college to study fine art, which is basically the first real exposure I had to art. And I went to McLennan Community College in Waco because they wouldn't accept me into Baylor because that's where my wife wanted me to go because she was a Baylor graduate. <laughs> and so I went to school at, Bay at McLennan Community College and was fortunate enough to meet a very uh, important Texas artist, uh, Robert Wade, who was really real close to my age. And he had just, I was his first student in that, and he was my first professor. And he's a wild man. <laughs> I haven't seen him but a couple of times since I left. His influences helped me to understand the scope of what art has to deal with and basically that there is no limits. You only make limits when you stop. That was Robert's influence. After I got through with Robert, I went into Baylor to finish getting a... Uh, BFA and painting. I had a good time there. I, made, I, I think I made some pretty good work, good paintings. Then I went to uh, Tyler's School of Art through the influence of uh, Italo Skanga, who was teaching there. He was a professor in uh, sculpture. Italo is uh, like an internationally known person, but uh, He's a fantastic teacher. He really opened my eyes up to the possibilities of what could be considered and what is art and what's not. And uh, understanding that everyone really is an artist, it's just a matter of whether you're relevant or not. I stayed with Italo there at Tyler and got, I got a degree there, MFA in sculpture. After that, I came back here to Beaumont and stayed here a year and then moved to Washington State and stayed there about a year and then went back over to uh, Philadelphia and I bounced back and forth from Philadelphia to New York for about a year and a half until 81. And this is when I started building this place. Can you explain this place for the people that can't see it, what it looks like, some characteristics of it? Outer walls, at first I just came out here and I built a Huxkin-shaped log cabin with a dome. Well, I had the superstructure out of round timbers that I cut right here and cut and bored out and bolted together. And it was on top of 10-foot-high uh, Huxkin walls, extending over about three feet bigger than the walls in diameter on the building. And the center of the top went up to 24 feet, and it had a fiberglass, corrugated fiberglass roof. And below that was a corrugated iron roof, and I put concrete on most all of that except for one small section. Well, actually, one, one hexagon section. The dome that I built on there was not a geodesic dome. It was a um, 
hexadome with concentric rings getting shorter with diagonal braces. And uh, this building housed a whole body of work that I collected and had made and uh, went through a hurricane with. The fiberglass top was still the original one, and it was about 15 years over date, needing to be replaced. So naturally, I believe a limb hit it, and uh, it ripped it off. But it was a relatively dry hurricane. That was Hurricane Rita. But I did lose quite a bit of stuff from just exposure. And I put it all back together and uh, fixed the roof where it was not leaking any longer. And uh, the house burnt down in uh, 06. Yeah. I lost nearly, well, pretty much everything else after that that was housed in there. Fortunately, I had uh, several bodies of work that were in other places. And so I still have plenty of work. And I worked pretty hard right after that fire for a while, trying to get my head together what I was gonna do. And then winter was coming up pretty quick, so I got busy making myself a warm place, a bottle wall, and I put a stove in, in it and uh, made it through the winter. And I'm praying that I'll stay healthy enough to uh, be able to stay next winter in my uh, house that I'm building on the same site as the house that burnt down was. And it's made from concrete with aluminum can interior mold, which means I stick empty cans with the hole down on some wet concrete and it sets and I put them together in whatever configuration I want to go with the building. And I usually make them about three abreast. I might end up making them thicker, another can. But I'm thinking that will be enough insulation. It'll be three cans thick with the concrete in between the cans and on the outsides. That's where I am now in my building and it's up about 18 feet high and coming in at shape it started out being shaped like a hexagon, and then I dove the corners off, and then bringing it in, it's basically going to look like a big old barnacle, <laughs> big old empty shell that comes up in a crescent shape, which is kind of like a swollen cone. I don't know what I'm going to do at the top, but I have several scenarios that I know will work. One thing I'm going to do is build a permanent platform on the outside after I get to a certain level where I can work on the outside. And also I'm planning on having solar capabilities up there and I want to have a, a way of getting up there and moving or flattening out or securing a solar panel during bad weather. It's a small building. It's really a one-person building. It's a lot of room for one person. I guess lovers could get along all right. <laughs> but I would be slapped crazy with anyone else in there my dog would be too much. I don't know. She's all right. What about your family? Uh, your mother, your sister? Do you have any good stories or anything you'd want to say about them? Other than my sister, my youngest sister, she's uh, about two years older than I am. And... Very beautiful, very healthy so far. 
you know, she is a good, clean, clean living woman, and she does my my laundry, and that's like <laughs> that's a quarter of the battle right there. You know, have someone who'll actually do your laundry. So they've been very helpful in that way, and I love them for it. I mean, I love them because they're my sister, but I love them because they do good things for me. My dad was not very sympathetic for with what I was doing with, with my life. He really couldn't understand it at all. Yet he was a highly educated man. Well, I don't say highly. He was a very, very intelligent guy with a two-year college, but out of necessity to survive, quit, you know, because of the Depression. And he was a rice farmer, very good farmer. He couldn't understand the value of, of art. Uh, how it plays throughout our life. So we didn't really have that close a relationship. We did go fishing together and had some really good fishing trips. My mom was the only one that had she didn't really know what I was doing, but she wanted to know all the time about the art part of my life. And she wasn't prying about the rest, which was pretty seedy, really. I mean, I can imagine her loving me being the way I was. <laughs> but uh, she'd always, uh, every Saturday if I'd see her, she said, well, you can come to church with me tomorrow. I went with her a few times and started weaseling out. <laughs> I started getting some uh, periodicals. I believe I had some art forums. Well, I believe it was art forum, what she had, which is pretty heavy reading for a novice, for sure. And she's sitting up in bed reading this art forum, and I go in there, and she's getting ready to go to sleep, and I was, was after my dad had died. And uh, I was living with her at the time for a while. I'd abandoned this place, kind of. Went up there to stay with her, and uh, I said, "You understand what you're reading?" He says, "Not really, but a little bit. Just that effort to understand me more too, and what drove me made her like a number one supporter, and she was. She always had food for me if I needed it." Charles, I'm not going to change the mills, but if you need some, there'll be enough for you. <laughs> and what can you ask for any more than that? You've had some quotes. One of them is, happiness is never having to measure anything. And maybe you could give me just your take on happiness. Well, you just said it. Happiness is never having to measure anything. This kind of states itself like nearly all the things that I've kind of taught. Uh, you kind of gave it away. <laughs> that was an interview conducted by guest contributor Will Stark with the late Charlie Stagg. Up next, we wanted to include a short interview Jason M. Miller did with Lynn Castle, director of the Art Museum of Southeast Texas, which was also featured in the Charlie Stagg segment of Bayou Lands in 2016. He 
is kind of in his own category in that he, some people mis- mistake him for a folk artist, and he was actually right. a trained artist. He has a master's degree or had a master's degree from the Tyler School of Design. Okay. And he studied under Italo Skanga, who was also a very well-known sculptor. Why people are confusing him with a folk artist is because he used materials that he appropriated from his property okay. to create his artwork and recycled things like he would take um, pine trees and whittle them down. So he actually used materials like raw materials, and then he would create the artwork from these raw materials instead of using more refined materials like canvas and so on. So I think that's where the confusion came in um, uh, to categorize him. But he really isn't a folk artist, but definitely an outsider artist. He was very eccentric. He was one of the artists that you could really say lived his artwork because he, he created a house in the style of his sculpture. He really did live his art. I mean, he was a true artist through and through. He was um, so genuine. It wasn't just a fluky thing that he started creating this art. This was something that he he, he did with an informed mind. And so his, his aesthetic is very sophisticated, but um, on the same standpoint, it looks somewhat raw because of the materials that he used. Was his art shown in museums or the pieces in other museums around the country? Yes, there was. It was actually shown at the Visionary Art Museum in Baltimore. Okay. And um, the way that I would classify his art is to say that he was a processed artist. In, order, in other words, he would let the materials sort of shape the artwork. And right. when he worked with these, these pine trees that he would whittle down, they would bend and shape, the sculptures would bend and shape depending on the temperature and humidity as the, as the wood dried out. So he actually worked with the wood but created this process, and the wood itself created the process too. So it was kind of working with the materials, but the materials also worked with him in creating the end result. Did he have um, any work that was shown at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas or in the collection there? He does. He has a piece that's in our permanent collection, and then we have several pieces on loan from uh, Dr. Jack McNeil, who lives in Houston, and we're hoping that eventually that they become part of our permanent collection. But if people come into the museum, they'll see them in the main foyer. Oh, fantastic. Lynn, thank you for talking to me on Bayou Lands today about the significance of Charlie Stagg's art. My pleasure, Jason. Always happy to talk about Charlie Stagg. Our thanks to Will Stark and Lynn Castle for their contributions to Bayou Lands. You can find out more information about the Art Museum of Southeast Texas at their website at amset.org. Bayou Lands Talks is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. For more information and to stream KVLU online, visit kvlu.org. And remember to share and subscribe to Bayou Lands Talks wherever you find your podcasts. You can listen to Bayou Lands Talks on NPR One, along with a host of other podcasts produced by KVLU Public Radio.